Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Fanboy Podcast, episode 142. I'm one of your hosts, Brett Miro at Super Brett Con, and I am joined, as always, by the one, the only, Mario Francisco Robles. Hello, that's MFR to you. Hi, everybody. How you doing? How you doing, Brett? Oh, I'm doing great. You're doing Coming great? Off, uh, a second viewing of the Batman. Ooh, that's right. We saw the Batman for a second time, but this time we saw it together. And uh, well, I mean, that and was IMAX. and in IMAX, no less. Yeah. So, uh, I, Brett, how was it for you on viewing two? Did it get better? Did it get worse? Was it more of the same? What was the the repeat viewing like for you, buddy, old pal? So uh, in IMAX. You should see it in IMAX if you didn't see it in IMAX the first time. If you're going on a rewatch, try to see it in IMAX. That really was worthwhile. Uh, oh, yeah. Really enhanced every aspect of the film for me. And yes, I am happy to say that upon viewing it again, it only cemented the fact that I think this is my favorite Batman movie. I think it is the best Batman movie Um the film is tremendous. I was able to pick up on more uh, little Easter eggs and uh, foreshadowing and hints and and just aspects of the film that uh, I didn't get on the first you know uh, pass just because I'm more familiar with it and it only enhanced the experience for me. How about you? Well, yes, it, it uh, if it was my favorite Batman movie already, which I I think it, it I think it's official now. I think I have a brand new favorite Batman movie because it was on the cusp before viewing two, but viewing two really just cemented it for me. Uh, and like you said, we're seeing an, an IMAX that w when that Batmobile starts to rev and the seats are like shaking. Ooh, and, baby. Uh, oh God. I just knew oh, that was, that's everything. I'm not even um, a car guy, you know, no, like, me neither. But me like neither. that got me so pumped. I mean, yeah, look, <laughs> One of the things that's great is good to report is the film almost seems built for repeat viewings because there's stuff that happens earlier on in the film that you don't realize is foreshadowing the first time around. The first time it's just here's a bunch of information and go ahead and start trying to figure it out at the same time Batman's trying to figure it out. But when you watch it a second time, you realize that like within the first few moments of the movie, practically, they're talking about that ill-fated renewal project in Gotham. They're talking about the seawalls downtown and how funding is getting cut to them and what a danger that is to Gotham. Like lots of little things throughout the movie. I'm like, oh, wow. So, you know, it, it was rewarding to see it that second time because you could it just there's more layers to this onion and Reeves designed it so that if you do go back, you start seeing the pieces fall into place a little sooner. And it's pretty exciting to see. Yeah. Um, I will say, I, I feel I, there's a part of me that feels almost like the need after, you know, every mo everything we've said about this movie has been nothing but raves. And I feel like I just need to give my my couple of little annoying things that did jump out at me. I brought up a couple of them in the parking lot to you afterward. But I feel like the listeners should hear this because, 
you know, to be objective here, this, uh, there are things that bother me from time to time, but sure. the overall product is so good that I don't mind it. But there are certain things that just don't ring true to me, Brett. And one that I brought up to you is the scene when Batman is upstairs with the penguin. Not only do we have the coincidence that of all the times and of all the waitresses who could have shown up in that scene, it's Selena Kyle who happens to be wearing the same boots that she's wearing in the picture from that other video that he uses to find her, uh, you know, from the pictures of, of the mayor with the mistress and that he was able to use the boots to find Selena Kyle, right? Right. Not only was that coincidence there, but then Penguin does a drug deal right in front of freaking Batman. And it's like, to me, that doesn't ring true. I I could see Carmine Falcone doing that because he's like, I'm really in charge of this city. What are you going to do about it? But snivelly, grovelly Oz, to me, like it's just very on the nose that in the middle of a conversation with a masked vigilante who's beating the shit out of people all over the city, you're going to sell drugs right in front of him and look him in the eye when you do it. That to me, was it's a little weird. And then also when he sends Selena into the uh, into the 45 below club or whatever it's called, some of that dialogue is very like, oh, what is it? I think it's 44 below. 40, oh, sorry. Sorry. Geek card revoked, folks. 44. Sorry. Uh, when she goes down there and she bumps into uh, Peter Sarsgaard's character and sits down with them, these people just start speaking filling their guts with all of this really sensitive information to a woman they've never met, including the, the, the woman sitting next to him saying really loudly in front of this stranger. So uh, we, we should stop talking about this because you know what happened to that Russian girl. And it's like, you know, so th there are little moments throughout the movie like that, where it's a little bit like, Oh, that was just too convenient. I still can't get over like, how did Riddler know exactly where they were going to arrest Carmine Falcone? You know, how did he know that they're going to arrest him at the club and I need to be at my window at this time and shoot him at that place? Right. What if Falcone was elsewhere? What if they arrested him at home? What if they arrested him? You know what I mean? Like, there are certain things that's like, that's too perfect. There, I don't care what kind of a genius the Riddler is. He could not have predicted that things would happen exactly as they did. So, you know, there are those little hangups, but that's the thing. Okay. When the overall ride is great and you feel like you're in the hands of a master storyteller, it's easy to overlook that stuff. Whereas in a movie that isn't as enjoyable, where things aren't coming together, those things just become like, yeah, this movie was, you know, you can pick it apart. Here, I was able to just more or less just push those to the side but i did I, I did feel the need to just as a critical minded person to share a couple of things like the movie's not like absolutely perfect right. but it's pretty much the best damn batman movie ever it, so yeah <laughs> yes um but speaking of batman movies and perhaps ones that aren't perfect you no know, last week we had an anniversary Last week was the one year anniversary of the release of the Snyder cut of 
Justice League. And today, it just so happens that Batman versus Superman is celebrating an anniversary. It was right at about this exact time in 2016 when that movie came out. And it's funny because I saw it. We're recording this late on a Thursday night. And it was late on a Thursday night. I came home from the Levittown AMC theater and recorded a video review of Batman versus Superman talking about my very, very complicated feelings about that movie, especially that theatrical cut. This is before I'd seen the ultimate edition that I ultimately liked more, but that theatrical cut left me totally just disgusted with where things were headed uh, in terms of Zack Snyder's DCEU. So that was six years ago tonight, Brett. Uh, what, what do you remember about seeing BVS. I, I never asked you this. Was this a movie that you saw like the moment it came out or yeah, did you so wait I, a little while? Yeah. Tell me. Yeah. yeah no, I, I did see it. Uh, I believe I saw it like opening weekend. Uh, I might not have saw it on a Thursday. I probably saw it like that Friday or Saturday, mm -hmm. but um, actually I think it might've been a Friday. I remember getting off work and uh, you, you know, so basically I was going with one of my, one of my good buddies, like right before uh, I was about to pick him up, he ended up getting food poisoning. So he had the bail on me. So I ended up going by myself. Uh, he got lucky. He got there. Yeah. So he, got, yeah, he, he dodged a bullet. Um, so I got there. Then uh, also realized that I had uh, um, accidentally purchased tickets for the 3D version. So Ooh, that yes. made me not happy. I have glasses. I need them to see distance. And uh, yeah. having glasses over my glasses is annoying. Also, it makes everything darker. Darker and, and muddier. Dark enough. Like, yeah. And, yeah. And, 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 you know, just the color palette. So that was my initial thing. So already I was a little like perturbed when I sat yeah, down. Yeah, yeah. And then I proceeded to watch this movie that um, had moments that I absolutely loved yeah. and thought were were just amazing and, and cinematic. And then also hand in hand with some of the worst editing I've mm -hmm. ever seen in modern mm -hmm. day filmmaking yep. that just became this weird, twisted, convoluted, jarring um, flow. I can't even call it a flow. It was just yeah. like this weird, choppy, choppy. I don't want to be so mean, a mess, but whatever. No, but, I'll say it was a mess. The and to be clear to anyone listening or watching, they were talking about the theatrical cut. Remember yeah. that yes. butchered edit of the movie is what we're talking about. I just was, I felt like whiplashed. Like I was yeah. just like, how are we here now? What's going on? Like, there was really no connective tissue between this scene and this other scene. There was just mm -hmm. a lot of that going on in my head. And I remember coming home to uh, Jesse, uh, who, you know, we discussed, uh, I guess, like a couple weeks ago when I saw Batman. She knows I gush over. I Pretty much I come home from a superhero movie. I'm almost always gushing for the most yeah, part. Yeah, yeah. And especially like a Batman <laughs> or a DC film. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And I even came home to her and she was like, how was it? And I said, I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm not sure what I just saw. And I'm not sure if it was good. I'm not sure if it was horrible. I'm just not sure. I've never been so conflicted leaving a superhero film, uh, let alone yeah. a Batman film. I I've never had that experience before. Yeah, it's so funny because you've always been more of a Batman guy than a Superman yeah. guy. So a that more was more of a Batman movie. Yeah, I'm a little more lenient too. I, I have a critical eye, I think, but I give the benefit of the doubt a lot more than, than a lot of other people um, mm -hmm. uh, that I see or that I talk to. And yeah, for me to have that reaction, you know, especially, you know, still having, I've said it a thousand times, I'll say it again, still one of my favorite Batman fight scenes ever <laughs> is in that movie, uh, the warehouse scene at the end. That's pretty uh, unanimous, right? That freaking yeah. warehouse scene is one for the ages. 
So that's awesome. And uh, yeah, I, I that. So that was my initial, uh, you know, reaction. And, and obviously, you know, when I went on to finally see the, the ultimate cut, I, uh, my opinion definitely improved on it, but yeah, yeah. At the, end of the day, it was just, it's like we said with justice league last week, the way you put it was great. It, it's not really the movie I wanted to see. It's not where mm-hmm. I wanted to see those characters go. Yeah. Um, but it had its, it had its moments and it, uh, and for what yeah. this storyteller was trying to accomplish. Yeah. He did he what he wanted to, to do. What he was going for. Yeah. And it was, yeah. And it's funny you mentioned that, though, because in that video review where I'm much slimmer and much handsomer, by the way, <laughs> but in that video review, I took the editing to task, too, where like the lack of flow. I think I even like re- like I, I use the, the analogy of like they took a lot of the connective tissue scenes and it felt like they just kind of put them on shuffle where all these different scenes like, yeah, technically they're all building in the same direction, but there's no real coherent flow of story or there's times where one scene ends and it seems to be indicating where we're going next and the next scene has nothing to do with where that was going and it felt like these yeah. random uh, vignettes i remember that specific word in my head when yeah. i left the movie i was like it was just like a bunch of vignettes that were like loosely connected and kind yeah. of told story that's how i felt when i left that yeah movie. and we're not the only ones who thought that the, yeah, even no. Chris Terrio, though, that, that's something that I talked about on this show when he did a, a uh, had an interview with, I believe, Vanity Fair last year. And he who wrote the movie called <laughs> that theatrical cut an absolute mess. And it's like, yeah, people, I think they forget that, too. Like when when BVS came out, that theatrical cut did it no favors. And that version of the movie is by and large what most people saw, you know, it's kind of sad the the version of the movie that, 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 that shook up $422 million worldwide and opening weekend was a vastly inferior version of the movie. Talk about shooting yourself in the foot. You know, Warner brothers had supposedly chopped it down by a half hour to try to, you know, get more box office. And they ended up making the film completely sort of just an incoherent unfun uninteresting ride and then they wonder why it dropped nearly 70 percent in weekend two you know i mean listen i i could always end up going down the rabbit hole about how warner brothers screwed all this up but it's just it's unbelievable that that that's what they did they took yeah. this movie they chopped it up they put it out there for the world to see and uh well, you know, we're still amidst the reboot that came because of that. So either way, happy anniversary, Batman versus Happy Superman. anniversary. Hey. You did your best. <laughs> you did your best. Um, but okay, so now before we get into the week's top stories, uh, I want to share with you your Superman on film update for March 25th, 2022. Oh, can I do it? Can I do it? Oh, yeah, yeah. Go for it. Okay. Nothing. (laughs) There you go. We have to start getting some sound effects. Yeah, we have to just, you know, there is just, yeah, there is nothing. It's a grand old goose egg on the Superman on film front of things. Still no news about a reboot. Still nothing concrete about what, if any involvement he'll have in the Flash movie or anything related to his big screen exploits. But you know what we did find out about? The big cellophane S. 
on my <laughs> hopes and dreams of Superman on film. Ooh, Superman 2 cellophane S. Pulling out the Richard Lester references. I like it. Well, look, we don't have a Superman on film update, but we have a Superman on screen update because this week we found out that Superman and Lois is officially returning for season three. And uh, I know for guys like you and I, that's amazing news because Tyler Hecklin, Hoechlin, however you say it, uh, by to the shock and awe of, I think, just about everyone, has quietly become our Superman. Right, Brett? Mm-hmm. He's, he's, my, he's my Superman. So for the time, and, and I'm telling you, and to me personally, that takes the edge off. It takes the sting off of the fact that there isn't currently a Superman movie on the way. The fact that I get to spend 15 weeks a year in this world of Superman, you know, for 15 episodes now, I get to spend this time with Superman and Lois and his sons and the villains and watch the mythology get bumped out and have new layers added to things. And, you know, if I didn't have Superman and Lois, I'd probably be a hell of a lot more antsy about a Superman movie yeah. than I am now. Um, but... You know, that is your Superman on film update. No news on a movie, but the amazing Superman and Lois will be returning next year for a season three. Um, Polygon recently published a very interesting column that I know, Brett, I know you wanted to talk about some of this. And uh, I know you want to mention who wrote it and do all that stuff. So why don't we go ahead and credit the writer and talk a little bit about what she revealed about how the world views Superman and how maybe he should stop fighting Batman all the time. Yeah, so I, I <laughs> stumbled across this really nice opinion piece today. So it does from, come from Polygon.com. The uh, author is Susanna Polo, and uh, she wrote an article titled, Years of Superman Fighting Batman Warped a Symbol of Hope into a Villain. And I saw that headline and I said, that's super interesting. Mm-hmm. No, no pun intended. Um, I mean, is that even a pun? I don't know. The, the silly reference. We'll take it. Intended, but kind of intended. Uh, <laughs> and I said, I got to read this. And it's a, it's a, you know, it's a lengthy, not super lengthy, but, you know, it's definitely uh, going to take a couple minutes to get through it. But I just thought, I read it. I immediately thought of you. It's definitely uh, something that you've talked about on many occasions that a lot mm-hmm. of people have talked about on many occasions. But uh, specifically, not just the fact that it doesn't seem like everyone knows how to handle Superman um, aside from maybe in the comics. And I I think they're doing a great job on Superman and Lois just to tie that back, but specifically focusing on the fact that Batman and Superman have fought so much. And the way uh, Susanna describes it in here is this uh, David and Goliath situation, or she also uses the phrase um, a wall versus a wall climber Superman Mm -hmm being a wall versus a wall climber and Superman always basically having to be the Goliath to Batman's David and you know, the reliance on the underdog story and how inevitably, even though Superman is that symbol of hope, we know the kind of character he's supposed to be. When you pit people against each other like that, the underdog always becomes the hero and the opposite person always becomes the villain. So uh, I thought, very interesting article it's it's dense so i and i i read it like once this morning before work and then had a full day of craziness so uh forgive me if my memory is not no 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 i mean those were definitely the guy to talk to about this but i really wanted to you know definitely hear you wax a little bit on this 
Yeah, no, I, I think uh, Susanna totally kind of hit it out of the park here and added some layers I hadn't quite thought of. Because, yeah, listen, we were just talking about BVS turning six, right, having its anniversary. But this idea of BVS has been going on for decades now. You know, I remember even just outside of it existing in literary media, it was a conversation at the lunch table in middle school. It's always been the thing. Who would win? Superman and Batman. Oh, well, Batman would because he would have a kryptonite. You know, this, <laughs> this, this fictitious fight between these guys who are supposed to be friends has uh, somehow captured people's imagination for a very, very long time. But she took it a step further by pointing out all these different instances in these different iconic stories where usually Batman is our point of view character. A lot of times we're looking at Superman through Bruce Wayne's eyes. And so when they write for Superman in those stories, they always kind of have to make Superman a little bit flawed in some way, either a little naive or he's a tool for the American army, or you know, there's some sort of weird sort of angle that they're playing with Superman to make Batman, the, the, the underdog champion of the little man, be more of the hero of the story. And it's true. I think years and years of that has built this sort of subconscious feeling where people kind of resent Superman. Or people think, ah, he's boring at best, or child stuff at worst. And, uh, you know, Batman and grittier superheroes are where it's at. So in turn, Warner Brothers and others have tried their best to make him grittier and darker and almost more Batman-like. And I think this column really hit the nail on the head. And just to kind of expand a little further on those analogies she made, you know, it's because of his abilities... It's hard to make him a wall climber. It's easier to make him a wall. So when he's constantly the obstacle, the thorn in the side, the thing that can't budge that you're trying to get past, you know, it's it's going to slowly erode people's visions of what this character is. And it sadly, flat, you know, yeah. You know, it and it doesn't do Superman any justice, which is one of the reasons, just to get back to Superman and Lois, that I think that show is such a breath of fresh air because they don't overthink it. They don't try to reinvent and reinterpret him as something he isn't. They keep him that honest, true blue Boy Scout, but they make the world around him murky and more complicated and loaded with shades of gray. And that's something we'll get into later in this episode when we review episode eight of season two of Superman and Lois. But um, yeah, I mean, in short, uh, happy anniversary, BVS, but let's kill firmly this BVS concept. It doesn't do Superman any favors. And at this point, it's just tired and played out. That's why, too, like, look, I can dig me some Snyderverse. I can dig me some quasi-restoration of his plans. You know, I know there was recently a hashtag event on the day that the Discovery merger, I think, went... Uh, official or whatever and people there's still you know there's still a rabid fan base for that restore the Snyderverse movement but honestly since we know where he's going next and we're going down that injustice route where it's evil superman that we have to bring down again um 
I'm kind of fine if none of that happens. You know, if if the Snyderverse returns in some other format, I've said this before, if they, if Ray Fisher could bury the hatchet and we can get like a cyborg series on HBO Max, I think that'd be cool. If they could find a way to make Joe Manganello's Deathstroke have his own new series or, you know, his own origin story that he had been building with director Gareth Evans of The Raid, let's do that. Uh, in terms of actually getting that Justice League 2 and 3 that Snyder wanted to get, where it just, it, it goes down that route again of Superman as a villain or as this obstacle that our, our heroes have to overcome or reason with in some way. And I'm just done with that. Let's nuke that trope, shall we? Right. It's like, I want to <laughs> I want to get to a place where we actually get to see batman and superman be the super friends oh, <laughs> I want to see yeah be the world's finest and i want yes. to see them and the more interesting you know batman versus superman is really them having a conversation or maybe disagreeing on how to handle a situation yes the philosophical take of how batman would handle it and how superman would handle something that's actually where the you know Listen, uh, again, I'll, I'll bring this where both actors are come from a theatrical <laughs> background. Yes. That's where the drama is. That's yeah. where the more interesting character choices are. That's that's how I look at everything. At the end of the day, even any superhero movie. What's all the most the, interesting choice? The, yeah, all the spectacle you want, you can give it to me. Um, and, you know, it's a reason why I, I love the Batman so much is it is such a character film. It really mm -hmm. is. It, it deals with some, you know, heavy choices that the characters have to make that they can't necessarily just push their way out of. Mm -hmm. and, you know, and, and that, that's, that's what I'm looking for. That's what I want to see. That is the more interesting story to tell. So just do the more interesting thing. Don't do the thing that you think is just going to make more money or be more spectacle. Like give us yes. the interesting tale. Um, I'd I, you know, I, they can have like a, a little, a little tiff. They could have a falling out and then maybe come back together, but it doesn't need, they don't need to come to blows. And, and, you know, it's the old thing, right? B Batman is Batman always wins, right? That ba that's Batman's superpower. He's human, yeah. he has superpowers, but his superpower is he's always wins. He's I'm rich and I win. He's yeah. the most prepared person, you know, ever. Um, but you know, even in the comics, if, if uh, uh, and actually, I know I'm not mistaken. It's in this article they mention it. Uh, Superman gives Batman a kryptonite ring and entrusts it to him in case yeah. he ever goes. Crazy. He yeah. trusts him that much that you have the way to bring me down and yeah. I want you to do it if I go crazy. And that and is an aspect. Like, that would be great yeah. to see. That dynamic yeah. on the big screen would be Mario. It would and be a ship's kiss. And then if you go into an actual fight with them like we had in BVS. Yeah. There's more stakes. It's more interesting even. Again, I, I just said yeah. I don't want to see that. But like you could do that. But just the problem build. Yeah. That's yes. the that was the problem ultimately with Bat BVS with Justice League. A lot of the choices that Snyder decided to make, or or Chris Terrio or the writers. I mean, Snyder I think was involved in the writing too. Mm -hmm. That was that was the real issue was that these choices just didn't have any history behind them, and yeah. they they never really hit in the emotional core that they should have. And especially you know? in the theatrical cut where they gutted a lot of Clark's arc. And the things that made him feel like maybe this Batman guy is no good and has to be dealt with. They cut a lot of that out of the theatrical cut yeah. also. So it's, you know, yes, I'm with you. I'm with Susanna. Let's 
end this crap with Batman and Superman fighting. Let's hope that the next time these characters are on the screen, we get that world's finest, you know, chemistry that was only teased at moments in Justice League, you know, or at the I bought the bank and all that sort of stuff. Like there are some fun little Bruce and Clark moments in Zack Snyder's Justice League. Uh, but let's make a whole movie where these guys are on the same page trying to deal with some large crisis where they have to split their talents, where Batman does what he does as a detective and Superman does what he does as a flying demigod who could do anything uh, <laughs> and have the inner, have the tension build around their different approaches, but having them come to blows, having to frame Superman as some sort of antagonist. Uh, let's be done with that. Okay. Yeah. Um, but speaking of antagonists in the Batman, we got that little glimpse of Barry Kowns. By the way, that is how it's pronounced, even though it's spelt Ke Kogan, Keegan, whatever. Yeah. Our friend of the show, Luke Tuckshear, over in the UK, uh, did a little research and found out that it's pronounced Barry Kown. So we got that tease of Barry Kown's Joker in the Batman, which if I'm being honest, is still that part landed with a thud again for me on the second viewing. I can't get into that tease. And I want to. I love me some Batman and Joker. And we're going to talk about this scene that got released today because I love that. But the tease in the movie with Joker and Riddler laughing and, you know, uh, what becomes more important, the fewer of them you have, a friend, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Like, I feel like I was supposed to get the goosebumps that we all got when when uh, Gary Oldman's Jim Gordon pulls out the Joker card at the end of Batman Begins. Yeah. But to me, I had none of that the first time. And I was secretly hoping when we saw it again, I'm like, now that I know it's coming, let me just try to enjoy it a little more. Let me put myself in that headspace. And I just still couldn't do it. But <laughs> today... We got a much more detailed look at that Joker, though. Matt Reeves, through that viral website, theratalada.com, that Riddler website that they set up as a companion to the film, which is a real website. You go to it. It has that same cool, creepy green font, and you have some riddles to answer. I don't know if you did any of that, Brett, but it was pretty just cool. just YouTube. <laughs> Ah, <laughs> oh, you did YouTube. Yeah, people like, you had to answer some riddles and it unlocked the video of a deleted scene, a five-minute scene between Robert Pattinson's Joker interrogating Barry Keown's Riddler. So, uh, Brett, what, what did you mean? You Robert Pattinson's Batman. That's <laughs> what I said. Barry, you did not say that. <laughs> no, I did. Oh, you're right. You're right. Um, <laughs> no, no, I'm wrong. Uh, so yeah, so that deleted, we actually alluded to this, I think like a week or so ago on the yes. show, because Matt Reeves had been talking about it and he said, I'm going to mm -hmm. release it soon. There's a deleted scene. So yes, I watched it today. It's five minutes, which is actually a, a nice sizable chunk. Mm -hmm. Um, I loved it. <laughs> I like that suspense. I loved it. Um, it had, it was a really cool way to see them interact uh, it's a way we haven't seen them interact in any film thus far. Uh, also implied 
some history between the two mm-hmm. already. Yeah, he says uh, it's our one year anniversary. Yeah, I think you look at his first Ooh. line, it's, it's our one year anniversary. And then he kind of criticizes him for only bringing him papers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> But uh, I loved the the very Clarice Hannibal Lecter kind of vibe of it, where Batman's consulting him, uh, you know, to learn some more information about the current serial killer that he's tracking, the Riddler. Mm-hmm. It, it was a really great way to frame it. Um, I also, I mean, we could, I could talk for days about this. I mean, the cinematography in the Batman was out of this world, uh, just a visual delight, and I yeah. loved loved the way that they framed and shot this scene. And he's sort of um, obscured through most of it. Until he's obscured those final, for probably like, like 95% of it. Yeah. yeah. Um, and you see the silhouette. You could see that there's green hair. You could see yeah. that there's some stuff around the mouth and you can't quite make it out. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, all, all that was really just tremendous. I, I loved the back and forth between them. It, it was it was really well written. Um, mm-hmm. And then what did you think and then because then i think there there is a, a piece here that i think you feel a little different than me on <laughs> yeah so okay all right so give me the overall. i really i really really dig the hell out of the scene i like the dialogue the interplay i like that this joker seems to be really really intelligent hyper intelligent yeah. with the way that he psychologically sort of undresses batman in a way too and how he points out the sort of interesting similarities and dualities between Batman and the Riddler and how they have a lot more in common than Batman even seems to grasp. And, you know, listen, I love everything about the way it's written and acted, but the area that I have a hard time with is the design. It's a little, it's a little much for me, honestly, the, the the diseased weird crazy monstrous look he's you know the it I, I I'm having a hard time picturing a whole movie watching this guy as the villain and how would he look with the makeup on he's gonna look like a monster which maybe is what they're going for Reeves is going for more of like a horror vibe here possibly but yeah the design like I was wishing it he was a little less monstrous looking but uh yeah, overall, I thought it was it was all thumbs up. But what did you yeah. think of his design? So, I mean, number one, shout out to the makeup effects department on <laughs> the Batman. I mean, between what they the complete transformation they gave to Colin Farrell as the Penguin, and mm-hmm. whether you like this or not, the yeah. makeup is just phenomenal uh, yep. on him. He he. Uh, so I like that you brought up the horror element. Um, yes, I've seen a little bit of discourse saying it's like too in a way too similar to Heath Ledger's, which I don't think I agree with. Um, you know, I, I get like the scar. Yeah, I mean, some of the, he was making little great. sounds like, Oh, it was, it was a little, you know, but uh, it's okay. Yeah. Th- there was some, some say, people saying that it was like a knockoff of Heath Ledger. I actually think if you really watch it and listen, his, while the tonality may be a little similar at points, he actually has a quite a different cadence in, in his oh, speech yeah. patterns. Um, at least that I, I kind of picked up on that. Um, I do love you mentioned the intelligence actually, because that was actually really cool. Um, I'm sorry, I'm going off topic. We were talking about the, no, no, no. Uh, and I just like jump back, but, uh, I also really enjoyed that, uh, the back and forth between them usually in the other, in, in the other films was always just like, Oh, you're a psychopath murderer and you're garbage. And it's just very antagonistic. And I liked that Batman kind of needed him. It, it already started this 
this this this sick back and forth need of uh, uh, that yeah, you know yeah, yeah for sure comic where like you know batman he has so many opportunities to end this and kill him and stop him from going on these murder sprees over and over again and he he can't because he's sick as well and uh that's they really they already planted that this early on which yeah. Uh, you know, kudos to Reeves for that. But anyway, back to the look. So yeah, I saw some people saying the looks over the top. Number one, you need to do something different, right? And this yeah. is pretty, pretty different, I think, than any other iteration we've seen in film. Uh, but again, I want to go back. I love that you mentioned the horror element. Uh, yes. That's that's an aspect that has been missing from the majority. You know, I'm, some people argue with me. Uh, been missing from the majority of the Batman films. Um, yeah. That, that horror element hasn't quite been there where it is very, very uh, pervasive in the comics. Um, yeah. You know, I've, I've mentioned this one before. We, I always, we always go back to death in the family. We're talking about court of owls. That was one of the most recent great comic runs. And listen, that's the one, if, if you're not familiar with it, the Joker voluntarily has his face skin cut off by, I think the doll maker and uh you know the gotham police get a hold of it and they for some reason keep it in in the gotham city police department instead instead of discarding it i don't know what you do <laughs> with just rotting skin but anyway they leave it in like a little thing and later on in the in the uh, you know spoilers for that later on in the in the run the joker returns from wherever the hell he's been because i think he just disappears he kills a whole floor of police officers in the police department and steals his face back. And what he decides to do is kind of like strap it around his head and like staple it back to his face. So it's gross and gruesome and very scarred and disgusting yeah. looking. And yeah, they, they really play with that. And even, um, I think, uh, uh in, what is it? Um, a, it's a, what is it? A serious something on a serious earth. It's that I'm, I'm screwing it up. It's something, a serious something, it's one of the like side, uh, you know, stories in the comics, yeah. like not part of the main canon. And they do a very heavily scarred, disfigured kind of Joker in that too. So I definitely think there's a lot of comic inspiration uh, from yeah. the character and the look. So just whether you like it or not, it does come from a place of someone who you know cares about and likes the source material. Mm -hmm. And honestly, like it, it, you know, I watched it with with Jesse too. As I said, you have to see this. You know, we got the hint of it in the, in, in the movie. We need to watch the clip now and. Yeah, like it's it's very off-putting, which I think could also be, you know, part of the initial reaction and where people just want to kind of like put it off. But it yeah. is. It's it's very it's disturbing. It, it made me uncomfortable. Uh yeah. you know, you talk about his hands, the dried blood all over them. I mean, like serious scarring. Uh yeah. I don't know. So I'm I'm not gonna come out and go like and say like, oh my god, it's my favorite look, it's perfect. I, I know I'm very hyperbolic and I, I'm very <laughs> obviously very high on the scene. But yeah. I, I think it's something cool. And like I always say, um, you know, this is something even you I, I called you out a little bit on it. You weren't sold on the Batman suit for the Batman. Robert oh, Batman yeah, yeah, in, yeah. In the trailer. But I think you came around to it seeing it in action. For sure. And yeah, yeah we saw a five minute scene where he's sitting and he's mostly blurry. Mostly obscure. obscure yeah. yeah, the entire time. But I think you got to wait till you see it in full action in a full length film. And hey, listen, it might not change your mind, but I, I always give the benefit of the doubt. Let me see it in in like full context. So yeah, uh, yeah. so I, overall, though, I, I like it. I think it's really cool. Um, now, one of the things, though, I do want to bring back up. We talked about this last week with Matt Reeves' comments. He said 
don't this does not mean that I'm making the main villain the Joker in the second movie. Yeah. Um, but the fact that they cast somebody and shot the scene means that he's probably gonna be around. And I was wondering what you think on this. And you know, for our listeners, if let's say they do end up doing a trilogy, which I feel like will likely happen. We do the whole trilogy thing. Mm-hmm. What would you, how would you feel if, you know, the Joker is never the main villain throughout the entire trilogy because, you know, like people have said, it's, it's, he's you know, overused or, you know, however they yeah. put it. Um, it's redundant, but how would you feel if he was just kind of in the background? Batman does use him as a Hannibal yeah. Lecter type um or or we just kind of see him maybe interact with some of the other villains locked up you know maybe he starts a big riot in arkham but never becomes like the main overarching villain how would you feel about that i would feel right as rain (laughs) yeah i feel like you know we've we've uh (laughs) right as rain brett yes i'm bringing that phrase back all right it's 1953 all over again the birds (laughs) (laughs) this is for the birds anyway Wow, we got to tell that story on the show. Yeah, one day. But um, yeah, I would feel right as rain because I've had an ass full of the Joker, and having him be the Hannibal Lecter type, someone who Batman has to interface with from time to time to try and figure out a psychopath or or to connect to an old, you know element of the criminal underworld where like joker knows these people so batman has to find out how do i get an in with so and so or you know having him be just sort of a supporting villain as opposed to a main villain i think is a great way to sidestep the overuse of joker and to keep him sort of fresh and interesting so yeah if somehow this works out where he's never the primary villain, but we spend a little bit of time with him throughout these next few movies, I'd be totally cool with that. How about you? Would you feel cheated as a Batman fan to not have him be the main bad? No, I, I think I think we have seen him so much, right? He, he's been iterated on over and over again, but it, it, feels, it feels wrong to not have him at all. Yeah. I mean, some people are probably like, I could just do without him altogether. But he he really is such an important part to the Batman mythos. And mm-hmm. I think he is. Yeah, I mean, it's just I, I don't it, it's hard to yeah see one without the other. Right. Yeah, it, it, really, it really is for me. But yeah, to have them like that or maybe to like maybe even if they maybe don't keep him totally relegated to the background. But like, what if how would you feel that I just thought of this right now? How would Ooh. you feel if they did like almost like um like a like some kind of like road trip movie with that <laughs> well like he has to like, transport him yeah yeah or like you know some kind of like you know where they have to like work together in a weird way and you know that, that i don't know like i mean I, I it, kind of in the it right, on its head a little bit i think that's the way to go if you're going to use him this time he, you need to flip it on its head in a, in a pretty drastic way so yeah. either doing this hannibal lecter thing i think is is really cool like i would be totally into that there's a lot of great other villains in the rogue gallery mm-hmm get that taste of joker um but yeah it would or it would be cool to have them where they have to have like an uneasy alliance for like the majority yeah. film and and, th- and then he still does not end up being the overarching villain but you know he's he's more prominent um could be a cool mm-hmm. thing it could be a cool thing it could be a cool thing and i'm with you on it's very exciting to have a f- a fully psychopathic terrifying psychotic clown as the joker you know that that like the the horror element of it all the way he just seems to be this sick genius who really delights 
in these really dark types of things. You know, he he really gets off on on pushing Batman's buttons and that the laugh at the end. By the way, you know, we got to talk about the laugh because every Joker at some point we got to hear how he laughs. Uh, I thought Barry Keown's laugh was like hair raisingly stressful. You know, yeah. I thought like, woof, oh wow, I was really unnerved by him. And uh, yeah, yeah I, I like the, the more like the higher pitched, like kind of laugh that he did at the end. But I even like just like the little ones that he would kind of toss in like, at, the, at the, yeah, like they were very, everything about him was super off putting. And, yeah. um, you know, while, while Heath Ledger was definitely off putting at times, I was more like enraptured by him in a way. But with this, mm-hmm. I was just, I mean, you could even see the way like Robert Pattinson looks at him. Like yes. he almost seems borderline uncomfortable. He, and he's a little I, scared of him. You kind of get the yeah. sense. He's a little bit like this guy is. But I, I loved the right. <laughs> I just really loved the writing. I loved like all of his lines he threw at him. Like he even said, I think he even says, uh, yeah, he says to Batman, he says like, you think I get off on this <laughs> or whatever? And he's <laughs> Like, don't you and then it just it's it's good man it's really yeah. it's some, it was great right a really well written scene um if it really, was not really well good. written you know could have been a disaster could have been really off-putting but the writing the writing is just spot on yes it is and uh, you know what else is spot on the box office for this damn movie and sure. it's funny because it's it's become a bit of like a, a a heated debate online if you go over on the twitter there's plenty of DC fans who are now armchair quarterbacking the box office results thus far and trying to act like the film is a failure of some kind or dare I say a flop of some kind. And uh, I actually had to tweet about it today. I made a whole thread discussing this because to me, it's also disingenuous. It's also cynical. And I just want to break this down a little bit, okay? Just to answer the question at the bottom of the screen, is the Batman a flop? Unequivocally, no, it is not. It has already turned a profit. And it's going to continue to turn profits because people actually like the movie. So instead of having historic drops, it's continuing to build on its box office cube. Forbes has it going north of 800 million bucks, which is a big deal. Remember, this is a reboot, and it's like the 89th reboot of Batman that people have seen. You know, this is a standalone reboot that has no shared universe connections. It's three hours long and plays almost entirely to grown-ups. Kids are basically dissuaded from seeing this damn thing. This is not, you know, this was never going to be a billion-dollar movie. It would have been nice. It would have been nice, but that was that was never the expectations. This was a $185 scaled-down, more character-driven film that was never going to be one of those billion-dollar makers. And it doesn't have to be. But the reason that you have people rooting against it, the reason that you have people pointing and laughing at the box office results is because you have you still have Snyder fans out there and yes I make a distinction I think that the most ardent most uh, vocal fans in that fandom they're not DC fans at all they are Snyder fans they only care about one director and one director's vision only they don't care about these characters aside from how this one guy would handle them So you have a bunch of these people who are disingenuously making these arguments 
And they're doing it because they were told for years that since BVS didn't make a billion dollars, it was uh, an underperformer. It was a disappointment. And they still can't wrap their heads around that to this day. And listen, I and that's one of the things I address in the thread, that on paper, and you hear a film makes $874 million. Yeah, that's on the surface. That sounds really good. But that was those were not the expectations for Batman versus Superman. That wasn't, you know, that, that wasn't meant to be Captain America 2 or Thor 2 or some like middle chapter of a much longer thing. This Ew. was meant to be. Yeah, Thor 2. Yuck. But, you know, this was meant to be like technically the first Justice League movie. It's in the title. Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice. What are they talking about? This is the precursor to the Justice League. And in the trailers, we're going to show you. We've got Batman. We've got Superman. We have the first ever big screen Wonder Woman. There's going to be Doomsday, one of the biggest storylines in Superman's history. We're going to do the Death of Superman storyline. You know, and and again, and, and for those of us who were paying attention, we knew that Aquaman was going to be teased and the Flash was going to be teased and Cyborg was going to be teased. Like they put all their eggs in one basket to make this like an Avengers style event film to set up not only Justice League, but the entire rest of the DCEU. So. 874 mil was not what they were hoping to get on that movie. And when Deadline ultimately crunched those numbers and looked at all the expenditures, Warner Brothers made $106 million on that movie. That's not a great profit when you've put all your eggs in that one basket and you're treating this movie as the launch pad for everything else you want to do with these characters. So people didn't understand that six years ago and are now using their lack of understanding of that to try and depict the Batman as some kind of flop and some kind of disappointment. And it just shows such a gross misunderstanding of how all this works and what the expectations actually were. And listen, the general rule of thumb is you got to double the budget. And if the Batman was the 185 million that Forbes recently said. That means we're looking at 370. 370 was the magic number. And guess what? The movie's already at 609. And it's going to keep on climbing. So don't listen to anyone out there who's telling you that the Batman is some sort of disappointment, especially when you factor in that China has been a fairly important market for these movies for a few years now and half of China is shut down due to COVID lockdowns. So it just had a relatively soft launch in China. Who knows what it'd been, what it would have been had it gotten the extra hundred million that it would have normally made under normal circumstances. So just to kind of bang the gavel on this, no, the Batman is not a flop. Are you overseeing these debates too, Brett? Yeah, you know, it just like from from the from the Snyder fans, it just reeks of like propaganda and sour just, grapes. Yeah, yeah, I'm trying to like pitch this narrative to like you know, I guess convince casual people on the internet that that's like the reality. Um, mm -hmm. So there's there's that aspect of it, and which I find just like nauseating and and so like juvenile. Yeah. It's just, it's just silly, but also, you know, and you mentioned this in your thread on Twitter, but we're also, we're in a post pandemic world 
Or yes. I mean, I would love it. Post is is being generous. Like it's still around. You know what I mean? It's definitely yeah. way better than it was, but it's still around. So you're dealing with that. Um, there are a lot of people that are still not comfortable. I know. I know people in my circle that are still not comfortable going to the movies. They still mm-hmm. are taking a lot of precautions. So you have to factor that in. You know, for the whole country. Yeah. Then not only that. Um, keep in mind, you know, Batman versus Superman did not have to contend with the fact that everyone knows that in 45 days after the theatrical release, it will be on HBO Max, which yeah. <laughs> if I'm already a subscriber. So like that, that is not something to be to. Yeah. It's a very different about. landscape. You know, like I know so many people that are just like, yeah, I have HBO Max. I'll just wait till it comes out. Why am I going to go with me and my, in my, my, like my girlfriend, I got to go spend 40 bucks or plus more if I'm going to get snacks and candy or mm-hmm. I already pay $10 a month or whatever for HBO Max. Like, and it comes out in April. I I could wait a month and a half and just watch it then you know yeah. so a lot of uh, you you cannot underestimate how many people have that mentality yeah so it's very different it's very very different and, we're in a totally different world and it's very different from the other big recent comic book release that did billions because some people have tried to compare it to spider-man no way home and have tried to say like oh warner brothers was expecting those kind of numbers and it's like are you on crack no they weren't Okay, Spider-Man No Way Home is not a reboot. It's not a brand new character. This is like the 25th Marvel movie. And it was an event film at that, that everyone knew that was going to have Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield. And this was, you know, this was a big culmination event of Tom Holland Spider-Man arc. That's also now setting up the rest of what he's got going on. This had lead-ins like Avengers Endgame and everything that's come before it. Like, there's no way that the expectations for Spider-Man No Way Home, which was a four-quadrant blockbuster, you know, the kind of movie that will appeal to seniors, it'll appeal to middle-aged folks, it'll appear to appeal to people in their 20s and 30s, and it'll appeal to kids. The Batman isn't designed that way the batman is just aimed almost entirely at that 18 to 34 demographic so when you're cutting out the family also that's also going to bring the expectations down so this idea that warner brothers was expecting it to do spider-man no way homes numbers it's just preposterous a lot of the stuff people are saying to try to act like there's a fire going on about the movie's box office is just preposterous. So let's just put that to bed. The Batman is a, is a success. We got the spinoffs. We're getting the sequels coming. People are excited about the world that Matt Reeves has introduced us to. The entire internet is talking about this Barry Keown deleted scene today. Uh, the Batman's doing just, just fine. All right. <laughs> um, now, the, something that came up since we last spoke, you know, when James Gunn, brought the Justice League into the season finale of Peacemaker. That was something we spent a fair amount of time talking about here on the show. And it had a lot of people talking for a while because it was unexpected to suddenly have the Justice League show up on this Peacemaker show. And you have Jason Momoa's Aquaman and you have Ezra Miller's The Flash. You have a stand-in for... Uh, Gal Gadot's Wonder Woman, and you have a guy clearly trying to evoke Henry Cavill's Superman. So there was a lot of conversation about that and how the fact that this seems to mean that Henry Cavill's Superman, which was not vetoed from the cut, is still in the mix. And we, you know, we unpacked a lot of that. 
And James Gunn recently revealed that there's going to be a bunch more of that coming up in season two. That in season two of Peacemaker, there's going to be more DCEU connections. I'm going to give you the exact quote. And then let's just kind of react to what he had to say. He said, I think we're going to see more connections and some other stuff as we move forward with Peacemaker and other shows at HBO Max. Because remember, there's still that top secret other Suicide Squad spinoff that he's got going on, too. And he said, so those cameos will keep coming. I don't know if the Justice League is going to show up in every season of Peacemaker. That might be a one-time thing. We'll see. So when it comes to the Justice League itself, he's not 100% sure. But in terms of having this series interconnect with what else is happening in the DCEU, looks like there's plenty more of that coming here and elsewhere in the Gunverse on HBO Max. What do you think of that, Brett? No, I think that's cool. As long as it's not overused, like I don't want it to just be like, oh, every week, who's going to show up? You know, because then that's yeah, yeah, yeah. like a gimmick. I, honestly, I, I have a feeling if anything, you're going to maybe see some some characters from like the Suicide Squad movie show up mm -hmm. like that that Peacemaker was in. Um, it's yeah. more likely that, that you'll see something like that yeah. um, or like maybe if uh, depending on the release schedule, maybe they will reference or show like footage as like a news story from like one of the films that have come out. You know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. I feel like there's going to be things like that, but no, I think that's cool. Like that, that's, that's a, that's a fun aspect. Listen, Marvel's doing it and, and not that you have to do everything Marvel does, but it's, it's fun. It just kind of, it, it makes the world feel a little bit bigger, a yeah. little more fleshed out, uh, a little more connected, dare I say. Uh, so I think that's a cool thing. And, uh, I trust James Gunn to do it and not like, you know, really overdo it. Um, yeah, it, it has a lot of potential. And, you know, as long as it's used, I mean, it, it was used kind of like for basically for a big gag at the end of the season. It was kind of yeah. like like a little like just like treat at the end. But, yeah, maybe they could use it in a way that's a little more, um, you know, uh, centered around like whatever the plot of season two yeah. is. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. I can also like maybe there's some guilt from Peacemaker over uh, having killed uh, uh, Rick Flag, and he starts yeah. seeing him in like some weird, like ghostly, you know, kind of guilt thing. I don't. Know. We like, get some more Joel Kinnaman. Yeah, yeah, get some Joel Kinnaman. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, I, I think what, what what's interesting about this too is like Gunn is in an, in a unique position here. The timing of things is interesting because when he's making Peacemaker. The DCEU is still kind of in its limbo state. You know, things haven't fully completed the pivot that are that's going to happen when the Flash comes out. So he was only he was kind of limited to like if he wants to pull in DCEU characters, he it had to be either the Justice League or someone from Suicide Squad, right? Yeah. But for seasons two and three and onward, which are going to be coming out next year, presumably after we've seen Aquaman, we've seen Shazam 2, we've seen The Flash, and now things are more firmly reset. Now things are much more like clear on where DC's going next in the future. He'll have a much wider palette of characters to pull from and synergies to create with upcoming projects. Right now with Peacemaker, there, was, there wasn't a lot that he could do to try to like get you excited for another DC movie or to have that, you know, like to create that bond between another DC project and this one. But next year when Peacemaker season two comes out, the landscape for DC on film is going to be a little different. Yeah. 
So he's going to have some interesting options for characters to pull. And, and by the way, you mentioned earlier, like right now it was, it was, it was a gag mainly, right? The whole thing about Aquaman has sex with fish and the whole thing. There was also a funny quote that came from Gunn this week about how Ezra Miller really took the ball and ran with that. He said that there's something like 16 extra minutes of that scene. That's pretty much just Ezra Miller riffing on the idea of Aquaman having sex with fish. That better get released. <laughs> like, I, I, I need, need that. To see that. It's right? Probably... Just give me that. I don't even need the green screen effects. Just I want to hear what he improvised yeah. riffing on that topic. Um, but yeah, either way, I, I can't wait to see what Gunn does next, what other interesting connections he could use, especially with next year, there'll be a lot more connections for him to pull from. So, uh, yeah, I'm excited for that, but you know, who's not excited. I think Tom Cruise listens to this show and he hated your idea for a Mission Impossible TV series. Because, folks, a couple of weeks ago, we were talking about Mission Impossible and, you know, where do we go from here if Tom Cruise is indeed leaving the series soon, which is the writing on the wall? What do we do next? Do we cast a new lead character? What do we, you know, can there be a Mission Impossible without Ethan Hunt we were talking about? And, Brett, you had a brilliant idea. Just remind people what your brilliant idea was. My brilliant idea was to make Mission Impossible into a TV series as it originally was. So there you completely, go. Really brilliant and unoriginal. <laughs> no, but it's it was a good idea. And in this age of streaming and every streamer trying to have its like own unique selling points, you know, yeah. the Paramount Network, I believe Mission Impossible is Paramount. Uh, yeah, Paramount Plus. Paramount Plus could totally uh, dig on some Mission Impossible TV series going on, you know, some limited series event or even a multiple season type of deal. You know, that right now Amazon's having a pretty good run with Jack Reacher and, and uh, funny enough, another Tom Cruise. Another thing. Tom Cruise property. <laughs> yeah, what was it? So, no, Jack Reacher is the one that has the guy who was Aquaman and is in Titans now. What's that other one? Uh, oh, Jack Ryan. Wow, there's a lot of Jacks. But yeah. with John Krasinski playing Jack Ryan in a sort of espionage type show, like Paramount Plus suddenly announcing that we have an a Mission Impossible series, I happen to agree with you, would be a pretty awesome idea. But as it turns out, according to The Hollywood Reporter, uh, they spoke to Tom Cruise. Paramount spoke to Tom Cruise about that exact idea. I'm telling you, the Fanboy Podcast has amazing listeners. And uh, Paramount approached him, and he just promptly vetoed it. He's not interested in the concept. He believes too much that this is still has, there's a lot more potential for where Mission Impossible can go on the big screen. So no Mission Impossible TV show, Brett. I'm sorry to break that to you. There's plenty but, of show. Uh, so. Yeah. <laughs> But all right, so we're, we're not getting a Mission Impossible series, but we're getting a Sonic the Hedgehog 2. And uh, what's the word on the street about Sonic the Hedgehog 2? Have you, did you see the first one? Oh, I did. In fact, as luck should have it, that was the last movie I saw in theaters before COVID shut the world down. Wow. So at the very beginning of 2020, 
uh, the last time I got to theaters was like in February or whenever. And I took the kids and my wife to go see Sonic the Hedgehog. And, uh, well, I loved the hell out of that movie way more than I ever expected to. I mean, listen, probably doing no small part to the fact that I am the biggest Jim Carrey fanboy there is. Jim Carrey, since I was like 11 years old, he's been the cat's pajamas. See, I'm bringing out all these old timey phrases. I will feel right as rain watching Jim Carrey because he's the cat's pajamas. And uh, he's the bee's knees. But yeah, so yes, I saw Sonic the Hedgehog. I loved the hell out of it. And I've been worried. Like, are they going to screw this up with part two? So, and I know some early reactions have come out. Please tell me they're good, Brett. Yeah, so the early buzz, um, and I should mention, I did also like the first film. I wasn't like, loved it, but I I thought it was fine. It was fun. Um, The quickest comparison I could make, because it came out, Kind of close to the uh, the Pokemon movie, the, mm. the Detective, yeah, Detective Pikachu, Pikachu, which yeah. actually that one I was very high on. I actually thought that yeah. was a really good film. Uh, the writing it. definitely was not quite as good in Sonic 1, my opinion. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> the early buzz for Sonic 2 is that it's awesome. It's a lot of fun. They're saying that the jokes are landing better. Uh, so it looks like they got maybe a little a little uh, a step up on the writing. We'll see when yeah. we see the film. Um, the relationship uh, and friendship between Sonic and Tails apparently is like just really well done and and really like heartwarming and heartfelt. Yeah. And uh, Jim Carrey is apparently like next level, like even more crazy and zany than in the first movie. He goes full Jim Carrey. Um, oh, I love that he gets awesome. to go full Jim Carrey. And, uh, and uh, Knuckles is supposed to be also Idris Elba. Idris uh, Elba. Voicing it, which is pretty cool. Um, <laughs> so they said it, the movie overall just feels more like Sonic. I also don't know if you got a chance to see the – they revealed the uh, newest movie poster for the movie. I was and about to bring it up. It's almost a like shot-for-shot yes. adaption of the Sonic 2 box art. Yes. And yes. I was like, okay, so they, they really leaned into it. So I think this is going to feel, you know, because it, it has that, you know, it has to play in the real world with mm-hmm. the Sonic stuff and kind of mix it up. But it, it does appear. And basically at, you know, we got a little tease of some weird otherworldly uh, Sonic-y kind of stuff at the end of the first one. Mm-hmm. And it looks like they're going to play with that a lot more in this. So yep. for, I think fans of the games, this is going to be just like a super fun Easter egg, geeky, just video game love fest. And yeah. that's where I think this film needed to go, and I'm I'm actually really excited for it. Yep. Um, yep. I should yep. also mention I I'm, I don't have her name because I'm a bad person, but uh, <laughs> they did cast uh, the female who actually voices Tails in like I in like all the the 3D games. Oh, really? So that's what's cool too is that uh you know they they didn't obviously carry over Roger Craig Jaleel Smith White for oh. Sonic. Um, well, yeah, it was Julia White for a little while, but Roger Craig Smith had been doing it um, as of ah. late, as like several games. Julia White's uh, old news, man. Sorry. Oh, uh, sorry. Can I do uh, that? Yeah. yeah, he just he's eating cheese. Uh, <laughs> cheese. You remember that he was into cheese? That was a big character. Thing that was for him. Whole thing. He would just you come build his a character. Out. Yeah. And asked if they had cheese all the time. I'd be like, get the fuck out of my house. Ah, the 90s were a simpler time. The 90s were a simpler time. But anyway, but it was cool that as a nice little also special nod to fan service was that they actually cast the uh, Tales uh, voice actress. Um, that is awesome. So that, that's a really, really nice thing to do for the fans. And uh, just every, everything I'm, I'm hearing and seeing about this looks like it's going to be a better film than the first one. Mm-hmm. And uh, it looks fun. And I can't wait. 
I can't wait either. And yeah, I saw that poster and I was just beaming because someone put a side by side and I realized like, wow, yeah. they legit recreated the Sonic 2 cover art as a movie poster. And there's Jim Carrey's mug in the back as a crazed, bald, mustachioed Robotnik. I need this movie injected into my veins. So, yes. All right. Good. You know what, good. Mario? You what? know what else we're going to have to wait for? What? Look at that segue. Uh, well, we reported on this uh, earlier in the, in, the, in the reboot of the podcast. Yes. There was a rumor that the Rocksteady, developers of the Arkham, uh, Batman Arkham series. Yep. Uh, rumor, heavy rumor, that Suicide Squad killed the Justice League was going to get delayed to 2023. And uh, I believe just yesterday, uh, the day before we actually recorded this, Sefton Hill, who is the head of uh, the Rocksteady Studios, did come out and say that uh, they're going to kill the Justice League later because it is indeed getting played <laughs> to a vague spring 2023. Uh, uh, they, yeah, you know, yeah, the yeah. usual thing, they want to make the game as best mm -hmm. as, as it can be and they want to polish yeah. everything. And listen, great reason to delay a game the old famous uh, Miyamoto quote, um, a, a bad game uh, is bad forever, but a delayed game is eventually good. Uh, I so, like that a lot. Um, yeah. And, and hopefully, hopefully, more importantly, just to stay kind of like uh, relevant with the games industry and a lot of reports, um, hopefully they're delaying it also to limit the amount of crunch that the developers have to go through. So they're not working insane hours and, yeah. you know, destroying their health and like making you know, it more humane life. for the developers. Yeah, yeah. So hopefully it, it is not just like, Hey, let's crunch now for the next, basically, basically they deleted an entire, well, uh, entire year. Yeah. From yeah. a year from now is when we'll hopefully see this game. So mm -hmm. yeah, hopefully they're not making the abusing them and they're doing this so that they can work on it for the next year, but at a healthy pace and, and finish everything up. So yeah. Um, yeah, and also hopefully, listen, a couple of months, we're going to have, uh, you know, E3 or whatever the hell that is going to resemble this year. <laughs> I don't know. It, I don't know how it's not dead yet. It's trying to, to breathe. <laughs> it's still yeah. trying to breathe E3, but I think it's on its way out. But uh, yeah, hopefully we'll do like a big blowout episode for some of that stuff. And I'll, I'll definitely be making content in June for that. And uh, well, throughout the summer, as these things come out, hopefully we actually get to see some gameplay of this game because like, we've yeah. seen Mostly CG trailers, and I think we might have seen like a small little slither of gameplay, but um, it's been like you know just like edited, you know, curated videos. I hopefully we get to see just like a like a little like long stream of like you know 10, 15 minutes of gameplay. So uh, yeah, listen, Mario and I will be here to report on that when it happens. Because uh, if you listen to this podcast, you're probably excited about that game. Yes, and also honestly, I know the real reason they delayed it, Brett. You see, the, the guy who made the statement that you mentioned by name, because you know their names. Yeah, he read that column by Susanna at Polygon. And he's <laughs> like, we can't have people fighting Superman. We got to figure out, we got to stop this trope of Superman being a guy that everyone has to deal with. Well, so he's evil now. He's been brainwashed by Brainiac. <sighs> okay, so now, folks, before we get into our uh, Superman Season 2 Episode 8 review, I do want to just throw in a quick cheap plug before we lose those of you who perhaps don't watch the show and don't really want to hear us wax philosophical about Superman and Lois, though, really, if that's you, you should be ashamed of yourself. You should be watching Superman and Lois. But just in case that's not your thing, I have to mention that last week, I finally did it. 
I finally launched the spinoff to this show. It is called The Wrestling Fanboy. And you could find it on Spotify, Apple, Google, wh wherever it is that you get your podcasts. There is no video version like this show. It's just a strictly audio podcast. And if you haven't found out about it yet through my tweets, uh, go look it up now. And you've got two episodes to check out already. Last week, for those of you who are wrestling fans, I began by remembering the late, great Scott Hall, who passed away earlier in the week. And I spoke a little bit about the Cody Rhodes debacle with his departure from AEW and his seemingly impending debut on WWE programming soon, which I have a lot of feelings about. So if you're into that sort of thing, the wrestling fanboy is officially up and running. Two episodes thick now. It's going to be going up every Thursday. And uh, hope Two you like it. Thick? <laughs> Two episodes? I don't know. Is that, is that another old time? Let's just say it is. Yes, that's what it is. It's two episodes. Ladies and thick. gentlemen, we have the thickest episode <laughs> of wrestling. We're going to DDT you through the thickest table imaginable. <laughs> All right. Speaking of things that are thick, Speaking of no, things that, that are thick. Um, <laughs> season two, episode eight, Superman and Lois aired this past Tuesday after another brief hiatus. And uh, we've got some thoughts. So, um, Brett, I'll let you get us started. Did the winning streak continue for you? Is Superman and Lois still crushing it? How did you feel about the latest developments? Yeah, um, it was another another solid episode. I don't mm -hmm. really think there's been like a bad episode. Uh, this one was like maybe and kind of there was a, a lot of development on the villain side uh, in this episode, but I felt like me and a little more spectacle than usual. And I felt like maybe I should have been a little more into it. But it, um, you know, it, it was a little a little flatter for me this week. Um, I, I'm just not. I, I wish they have given a little more uh, behind, like insight into what exactly uh, this alley woman is doing, and mm -hmm. the weird portal and the invert. I, I still don't get what's happening and yeah, how yeah, yeah. finding with people. I, I don't with with through the I don't know with the little charm. What is it called? <laughs> the pendant, whatever. Yeah, the pendant. Um, so there was that, but I actually did really like, uh, the stuff with, uh, Jonathan and Jordan, uh, this episode yes. kind of saved it for me. Um, we really actually got to see Jordan, like for the first time, really start to like manage and use his powers. He made his first and, save. Yeah. He, 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 he did save. a big save this, uh, this episode, um, yeah. uh, you know, put the hood down and concealed his identity a yep. little bit. And I went, we got to, I, is this the first time we saw him use the super speed? I don't think uh, we've seen him dance anywhere. Maybe except when he was possessed by by evil. Yeah, I guess I kind of count that because technically we've seen Jordan be all different kinds of super. But yeah, you're right. Like him this doing the flash. He did speed. it by not being possessed by evil Jor-El. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, so like, yeah, it, it was like of his own accord, uh, you know, doing it. And I really do. I think both uh, actors on the show, uh, the brothers, like I really love their relationship. Um, it's actually pretty nuanced. And, um, also I think Jordan, uh, the, the actor who plays him has improved, uh, from season one. Uh, I think his acting's got a lot better. I yeah. think the guy who plays Jonathan has been pretty solid actually throughout, mm -hmm. but, uh, yeah, that actually saved the episode for me. I thought that stuff was really interesting. Um, yeah, some, some of the, and then, oh, and there was like a little, you know, a big uh, little, uh, twist kind of at the end, which, uh, was kind of interesting. 
But you know, sometimes like when they get too bogged down in like the all the military drama, that that stuff sometimes like pulls me out. Like I think I am more interested in like all the family drama, which I know some which people is, are like, w, right? yeah. And but I'm like, no, no, I think that's kind of the more intriguing part because that's the more challenging thing for for Clark and Superman. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, so yeah. What do you think? Yeah, tell me. Yeah, here. for me, I continue to be very impressed by the scope of the show in terms of. They show some pretty, they have some pretty complicated character arcs, some really interesting shades of gray surround our big blue Boy Scout. And I really appreciate that because it's a show that is more about compassion and understanding than casting judgment. And one of the areas where I see that is in the Kyle Cushing uh, storyline, where we find out that Kyle had cheated on Lana. And rather than play this like he's a straight up asshole and villain now for doing that, they seem to be having Kyle on a bit of a redemption arc. And they're seeming to try to show that, like, listen, stuff happens sometimes and things get messy, but it's about how you deal with it. And kind of like how Lana said in her in her uh, pseudo stump speech when uh, she's talking about how life throws you curveballs sometimes, but it's all about dealing with them with honesty and dignity. And I find that it really speaks to me because if we're going to get personal here, like in my life, I've had to deal with men around me doing things that are a little corrupt and a little not great. And I myself have been in Kyle's position of being the, the, the husband who's kind of on the outside looking in who has to face up to his mistakes and hope that she lets him back in. And the fact that they're so soberly and maturely handling the Kyle storyline, um, I actually want to give a, I want to, I want to call out Nico Caruso from the vigilante 1939 podcast. I love Nico. I love his father. I love Nick Zednick. And Nico tweeted something about like almost sort of dismissive about that storyline. Like, hey, remember when they spent all of season one showing us that Kyle was a good, you know, a good husband and a good person just to undo it in season two and make him a bad guy for the sake of drama. I'm like, to me, that undercuts it entirely because I don't think what he did automatically makes him a bad person. All right. I think there's more to the story and it seems like Lana seems to be willing to hear him out and his daughter seems to be willing to hear him out. And I think a show that preaches a message of forgiveness and understanding and the belief that people can be better and that we can't judge people for their dark, for how they behaved in their darkest moments. We judge them for how they pull themselves out of that. And to me, Superman Low is like the fact that like that's part of the show's like moral compass makes me really love these writers and really trust where they're taking these characters. And even all throughout too, you know, with with Jordan's storyline where, yes, he started trying the yellow K, no, Jonathan, where he started like doing like the drugs, so to speak. But it's not so cut and dry that you did drugs, so you're automatically a dirty, filthy junkie. Like in the old days, that was like a trope. Like that would have been played much differently. Nowadays, we're treating it like he had, you know, he screwed up. He felt these outside pressures. There was something that happened and he did it. 
and he regrets it. But, you know, like to me, the fact that the show has that level of heart and care and concern and surrounds Superman with all of these sort of moral quandaries while he himself doesn't have any. He always knows the right thing to do. Clark is that idealistic big blue boy scout still but like any good superman story they surrounded him with people who were dealing with their own crazy murky shades of gray and that continues to impress the hell out of me on the show and as a side to that too like i also just love the cult angle because this is just this is more like a personal thing because like i love like, first of all, I, I love in the Batman that we're dealing with a serial killer, with a Riddler who's like Zodiac, because I've always been into serial killers and true crime. In Superman and Lois, we're dealing with this cult thing, and there's interesting parallels, because in, in there have been many cults who preach this message of, on the other side is the happiness, on the other side is where you'll find your true self and reach your full potential and you'll be a golden god. You just have to drink this Kool-Aid, and when you get to the other side, you'll experience it, and you have all these poor souls who've believed these charismatic snake oil salesmen, and then they die. You know, and nothing comes of it, right? But in this instance, this lady is doing exactly what real-life cult leaders do. They, She's convinced these people that if you follow me, I'm going to lead you to some mythical promised land. And uh, I just love that somehow they've made that into a Superman villain story. It just, it, It's an interesting angle. I haven't really seen anything done quite like this before. And I'm with you. I want to find out more. It is still a little too vague and hazy. Yeah. What I mean, is this inverted this world? 20, these are like, what, 22 episode seasons too? So yeah. I guess, like, I'm used to like lately even watching a lot of like some of the more like, you know, prestige television yes. shows and they're like, they're doing more like, you know, eight to 13 episodes. Yeah. Well, actually so, this is going to be 15. This is going to be 15. So we've still oh, got, yeah, yeah, but, but yeah, but like, yeah, that's, that's we good. We still have plenty of room here. Something to be revealed by now, but I'm like, oh, they still yeah. have a little way to go. But yeah, yeah, that, yeah, that, yeah. Like, I need, I need, I just need a little bit more to get me into that part of it. But um, mm -hmm. just to go back, because uh, I remember, I think it was like last week or the week before, I was talking about like, I was like, poor Kyle, man. Like they gave him like he was kind of like the dickhead in the first season, yeah. And then the season they were like, let's just make him a dickhead again. And, and I, <laughs> I, I always eat when like I'm like, you couldn't find like another thing to do. But I'm really glad the turn it took this week. I'm yeah. glad. It went really melodrama with it, and I mm -hmm. really felt like that's where it was going. And I was gonna be like, eh. but like the yeah, what they did this week was great, and and even with the with the kid, uh, with with his daughter, with Sarah, Sarah, right? Yeah. Um, I'm glad they they kind of have a little bit of reconciliation because they really could have went crazy melodrama with that, and really mm -hmm. melodrama with with uh, I can't always want to call her Sloan <laughs> because she's <laughs> slow. She'll always be Sloan from uh, uh, Entourage for me. Wow. But Lana, um, that's funny. So, uh, yeah, I call her Sloan all the time. It's so bad. So <laughs> I, I, uh, I'm happy that they did that. Yeah. That was a cool, uh, a cool little twist this week. Yeah. Uh, yep. You know, there so. was one other little thing too, from, from Jordan's first save from that scene. Uh, Jonathan has a line I find interesting and I wonder if it's foreshadowing what this dynamic is going to be like, or potentially a danger on the horizon for these guys keeping their secret because, Jordan, after Jonathan teaches the, the guy who's attacking Candace a lesson uh, and he has him pinned against the car, Jordan says, like, basically, you know, never speak to Candace again or I'll send him after you. 
So here's Jordan kind of like, I'm like, this is an interesting relationship now with his brother where like his, he feels like his brother is someone he could sick on people, you is know? He, and like, I don't know. <laughs> like, you know, what happened? He's going to be like pimping him out now. Like, go get yeah. it. Yeah, I get that. Yeah. <laughs> because like, you know, th there's lots of different ways that dynamic could have played out. It could have been jealousy earlier on in this season. It was like competitiveness. He was taking the yellow K because he wanted to be special too. But in this case now, it's like he's, he settled into the fact that I'm not superhuman, but I've got a superhuman brother and I will send him to kick your ass if you mess with me. I just think that was interesting that he said, I'll send him after you. And I just wonder, yeah. like, you know, how would Clark feel about that? I don't know if that's a great thing to be threatening people with. Yeah. Uh, as we're trying to keep a low profile, don't threaten people that you're going to send uh, your superpowered brother after them. Right. But uh, either way, I found that interesting. And my last note, which is just about how, how good innately Superman is because Clark could absolutely find out where Jonathan got this stuff. He could absolutely eavesdrop with his super hearing and find out what's good, what the real, why he's protecting someone and what the truth of all this is. But he doesn't because he's Superman because he's waiting for Jonathan to come and actually communicate and speak with him about what's going on here. And until then, you're going to get stern dad things from me, but he's not going to break the trust, you know, because even late in that same scene towards the end of the movie, after uh, the, Jonathan comes home and Clark basically sends him to his room for being late from work for walking Candace home, uh, he goes right upstairs and starts talking to Jordan about Candace. And I'm like, Clark's downstairs. He could totally, if he wanted to know what was going on here, right. he absolutely could find out. Or he could just watch from the sky and watch Jonathan's every move. But that wouldn't be the Superman-like thing to do. And, and that's that like his burden. He can do yes. that. And, yes. you know, potentially maybe keep his family safer or or protect yeah. them better. But he know like that, that's the, the contract he has with humanity, with his family is that like, yeah. He, he needs to be respectful and, and use the powers for, you know, what they need to be used for and not mm -hmm. to like, and he you know, seems, yeah, he seems to have faith that Jonathan will eventually speak to his better angels, come to his senses and just reveal it. So he's not going to snoop around and do any of that. He's going to let it, you know, happen naturally. And so Lois is telling him to lighten up a little bit. You gotta, you yeah. 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 Like it's not the worst thing that he walked his girlfriend home, you know? Yeah. So seriously, it, so it, the, the whole the, the dynamic in the family is just it's just really it's the strongest part of the show, um, yeah. and it's probably the most interesting. It is, and it's funny to think because it was the one that had the most potential to be cringy and stereotypical. Yeah, and uh, instead, it's been it's uh, it's arguably the most compelling part of the series. So, yep, for me, Superman Superman Lois continues the winning streak. Um, I can't wait to find out what happens next. I want to find out more about Allie, but all in all, knowing that they've got season three coming now too, the, the quality of the storytelling and the care and thought and nuances that goes into these characters and the overall Superman sensibility that the show seems to exude. Uh, I'm just over the moon, man. So, all right. I think, I think that does it. I think that does it for episode 142 of the Fanboy Podcast, ladies and gentlemen. This episode is for the birds. 
is Futterbirds. Futterbirds. I feel right as rain. Anyway, um, <laughs> folks, if you want to have a question or a comment read on the show, please send it over to the fanboy podcast at gmail.com. If you're enjoying this reboot of the show, please take a few moments to rate and review the show because I haven't gotten a new review on our uh, on our thread in about two years. That makes it sad. Yes, and I, and listen, I have a, a lot. I have like eighty of them. I'm very happy. But let's get some fresh reviews in there, and let's let let's get the buzz growing outward here because the fanboy podcast is here, and we ain't going anywhere, right, Brett? That's right. We're here to stay and we're going to keep making content and I just am excited to continue doing the show and just make it bigger and better. Very and, uh, excited. I hope you're enjoying it, please. And if you are enjoying it, please share it. When we post stuff on, on Twitter, it, even just a, a quick little retweet from you really, really helps um, and it means the world to us. So any little thing you can do just to spread the word, maybe tell your friend about it, tell them to check us out. Uh, you know, that, 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 goes, that goes a long way. Um, maybe even further than reviews, but please leave a review too. <laughs> Amen to that. And remember, check out the wrestling fanboy if you're into that sort of thing. But okay, folks, if, uh, well, no, until next week, life is chaos. Be kind. Adios. Bye-bye.